If you reach for your Bibles for today's scripture reading and turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Only two verses, but two powerful verses nonetheless. As I was reading them this morning in preparation, very convicting. And so I encourage to see God use Pastor Bruce today with these two verses. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be starting in verse 29 and reading 29 and 30. Follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Father, Lord, we come, Lord. We come with humble hearts. Praising you, Lord, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to your word today, Lord. Convict us, challenge us, Lord, that we would see you in a deeper sense. Use Pastor Bruce as only you can. And in your name I pray, amen. This morning we are continuing in our series that we began last Sunday on relationships Ruined by sin and restored by grace. And this morning we're going to talk about how relationships are oftentimes ruined by rotten talk. If you think about it, talking is quite remarkable. It's a rather amazing feat when you give thought to it. We have this ability to actually take a thought in our minds and communicate it through our mouths. Robert Frost put it this way, half the world is composed of people who have something to say and can't, and the other half who have nothing to say and keep on saying it. According to studies, most people will open their mouth to talk an average of 700 times in a day. And in those 700 times, the average man will speak 12,000 words Per day, while the average woman will speak no less than 30,000 words. Some of you might wonder why women talk so much more than men. And then my wife reminded me she has to say everything at least twice to get me to hear it. So perhaps that is the reason for the disparity in those numbers. Nonetheless, every day, you and I, we speak thousands of words every day, every week. Some words are carefully planned. Others are spoken impulsively. Some are spoken quietly. Others are spoken with more volume. Some of our words are spoken with a desire to help somebody or to encourage someone. But some are spoken with the motivation to to hurt or belittle and even retaliate. However, most of our words are spoken with little, if any, thought about how They will affect other people. So let me ask you, when was the last time that your mouth got into trouble? Was it this last week? Perhaps it was even this morning. Perhaps it was yesterday. Have you ever said something that you wish, the moment it came flying out of your mouth, you knew, I wish I could take that back? Have you ever been on the receiving end of a a biting or thoughtless comment Dorothy Neville was right when she stated or when she wrote, the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing, 
in the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. Maybe you heard about the elderly woman who came up to the pastor after the worship service and said, Pastor, your message kind of reminded me of the mercy of God. I thought it would endure forever. So much for tact, so much for diplomacy by that sweet elderly lady. On a more serious note, though, it is painfully obvious that the rot in our talk threatens to ruin a whole lot of relationships. In fact, here's what we're going to see this morning by the Apostle Paul as he writes to us here in Ephesians chapter 4 in just two simple verses. Notice this in your notes. Here's where Paul's taking us. He wants us to understand that relationships are ruined when you speak with rot in your talk, but those relationships can be restored when you use words that give grace. Now, sometimes we don't think enough about our words and just how much power they carry. But we are reminded in Proverbs chapter 18, 21, that the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. We go to the New Testament, and there James tells us in James 8, or James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, that the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, and from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so sometimes our our mouths are like a, a loaded gun, and we can become highly skilled at pointing it at others and pulling the trigger. We have all felt this way too many times, whether it be face-to-face with somebody or through social media or in text messages. Our words are used as we might call weapons of mass destruction. An unchecked tongue tongue calls for all these relationship body bags. I can still remember as a kid, perhaps you can identify with this as well, when my mother was washing my mouth out with soap. Anybody ever have that done to them? Handful of you. She marched me straight to the bathroom. She stuck that bar of soap in my mouth. And then she rinsed it out and sent me to my room. You might be wondering, now, why would my dear, sweet, sweet mother wash my mouth out with soap? That seems so cruel. Well, she actually believed what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11. And it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So once again, I probably told my brother one too many times to shut up. And now my mom was using this unforgettable object lesson to clean out the rot in my mouth. But my mom also knew something else. That the soap in my mouth cannot clean the rot in my heart. That was a job that only God could do. Because at the end of the day, getting rid of the rot in our talk is is fought in the heart because Jesus tells us it's out of the ability abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you don't like the rot in your talk, or if you're in a relationship where your talk is ruining 
that relationship, then I want to encourage you to, to pay attention, to listen carefully this morning, because the Apostle Paul wants to help us here. He wants to instruct us on how to get rid of the rot in our talk that so often threatens to ruin the relationships we are in. So look again what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 29 in your Bibles one more time. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, if we would just put this one verse into practice, it would do wonders in our relationships with one another. Paul gives us three instructions here. They're clear, they're concise, and yet powerful if we will put them into practice. The first instruction he gives is actually a prohibition. Number one here, where he tells us something not to do. He says, do not speak with corrupting talk. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, this phrase, corrupting talk, it can also be translated in some of your Bibles. It's translated as unwholesome word or in evil talk or even Sometimes it's translated as foul language. And so what does corrupt, evil, and foul, and unwholesome mean? Well, the underlying Greek word that is used here for corrupting talk is the word rotten. That's the idea. So corrupting talk is, in other words, is nothing more than talk that is rotten to its core. In fact, this word that Paul uses for corrupting talk was used for rotten fish and, and rotten fruit, such as Jesus did in the Gospels. And, and the image in Paul's mind was probably one of rottenness and decay, something that is now spoiled and now contaminated. And so the meaning that Paul has in mind here when he writes this is, don't let any rotten talk come out of your mouth. Now we probably need to define a little bit more, broaden it out somewhat, in application, what exactly is rotten talk? What does rotten talk consist of? What kind of talk does that include? What does Paul have in mind, in other words, that should not come out of our mouths? Well, if you look in context here in the book of Ephesians, specifically here even in the verses preceding verse 29 and some of the verses following verse 29. So if we look in context, we know that Paul has in mind what he wrote just a few verses earlier in verse 25 of chapter 4. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We know Paul probably also has in mind what he writes Two verses later, in verses 31, or verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I think Paul would also include what he writes in the next chapter, chapter 5, and specifically in verse 4, where he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. And then, if you broaden it out even more, if you look at the rest of Scripture, here's a summary of what 
quantifies or what qualifies as rotten talk. Talking too much. Talking excessively, in other words. With gossip and slander and spreading rumors. It's talking dishonestly. Lying and deceiving. It's talking harshly. Name-calling, backbiting, trading insult for insult. Yelling and screaming, criticizing and complaining. It's talking crudely, such as vulgarity, using God's name in vain. Sensual and pornographic talk, dirty jokes. It's talking flippantly, talking cynically, carelessly, sarcastically, and scornfully. So all of this would come under the umbrella of the big idea of what Paul is talking about, of rotten talk, not proceeding out of our mouths. Don't let it come out of your mouth. All of this will be included. Now, let's just step back and ask what Paul might mean by calling our talk corrupting or rotten. If we think of rotten fruit, like Jesus did, four implications come to mind now. So to kind of flesh this out even more, here's four implications of rotten talk. Rotten talk does not nourish. It doesn't nourish anyone. Just as rotten fruit does not nourish, neither does rotten talk. It does not help another person. It doesn't improve them or strengthen them. Rotten fruit is not useful. Rotten fruit is good for nothing. All you can do with rotten fruit is throw it in the trash. Why? Because, number two, rotten talk makes people sick. It simply makes people sick. Rotten fruit makes you sick if you try to eat it, and rotten talk makes people sick when they hear it. In other words, rotten talk not only fails to give positive nourishment to the hearer, it can actually cause negative harm to the hearer. Rotten words can hurt a person very deeply. And then number three, rotten talk just makes the atmosphere stink. You ever been around someone when rotten talk just spews from their mouth? Smells bad. In fact, it just makes the whole room stink. You can't wait to get away from them and leave their presence. And number four, rotten talk comes from a rotten heart. Let me read to you what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 12. Verses 33 through 35, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So what is Jesus saying here? He's simply saying that rotten talk is the fruit of a rotten heart. It's as simple as that. Now, that's bad news. That's bad news. But there is good news for every one of us here this morning. And the good news is that Jesus died. He rose again so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have our rotten hearts changed from the inside out. In other words, transformed. We become born again. We get a new heart. And because of our sinful nature, though, Let's be honest, every one of us here, we still struggle with our talk, though. This is a struggle for all of us here this morning. We we still say things, even as Christ followers, even as people who have been born again by the Spirit of God. We still struggle and say things that threaten to ruin our relationships. 
You may counter, oh, I, I was just joking. You may even think, that's just the way I talk. Where's, where's your sense of humor? But it's no joke. When you speak here with corrupting talk, what, what we're calling rotten talk, when, when you are speaking out of the abundance of your heart, and what comes out is rotten, and it stinks, and it makes people sick. Paul Tripp, in his book, War of Wards, Words, writes, word problems are always related to heart problems. Jesus' brilliant metaphor reveals that our words are shaped and controlled by the thoughts and motives of our hearts, he writes. It is very tempting to blame others. She makes me so angry. Or he pushes all my buttons. Or to blame the situation around us. I didn't have time to sit down and discuss it calmly. Or, or with four kids in the house all talking at once. Listen, a soft answer just doesn't work. And he goes on and he says this, my words reveal the true desires of my heart. Word problems reveal heart problems. And we all have excuses for what we say, don't we? We are super good at coming up for excuses. The moment it flies out of our mouth, we are already generating an excuse in our mind. Such as, I, I was tired. I was provoked. I, I wasn't thinking, forgive me, sorry. I didn't mean it. It's true, so I said it. And on and on we go, justifying our rotten talk. And we all have people in our lives that drive us nuts. Some people just seem to have this, quote, spiritual gift of irritation, and they just know how to get under your skin. But your words matter more than you probably realize. Jesus says, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. So it's no wonder that Paul says, don't speak with corrupting We're not to let any rotten talk come out of our mouths. King David, he tells us in Psalm 141.3, he says it this way. He actually tells us to set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So this is something we cannot do necessarily on our own. We need the Lord's help to do this. Each and every morning, we should wake up and ask God, like David did, Lord, set a guard over what I say, a door over my lips, so that no corrupting talk proceeds from it. This is something we need help with. And like David, we can go to the Lord Almighty and seek his help. We are not without the resources here. But Paul, nonetheless, is very concise, he's very clear with the prohibition, don't speak with corrupting talk, and now he brings us to his exhortation, which is the positive, where he now says, do speak. So he's not telling us to never speak. He's never saying, don't open your mouth and talk. Here he's actually saying and encouraging us to speak, but to do so with edifying. Look again what he says, what Paul writes in verse 29. 
He first tells us, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And now he tells us, there's a conjunction, this word but, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. So we are at all times to say things that are only good, or literally whatever is good. Does this mean all we should talk about are puppies and pretty flowers and anything else that seems good? No, Paul Paul is not saying that. He's specifically saying speak what is good for the purpose of building up. So what is edifying talk? Notice this in your notes. Here in the context of Ephesians, edifying talk is talk that is good for building up people. For building up people. Now, we probably need to stop and quantify this or or define this a little better, especially in our day and age, in our culture in which we live. This building up people is, is in the Lord. It's building them up in the faith. It's building them up in the truth. Okay? So when we finish speaking with people, they should feel lifted up and strengthened in their spiritual journey with the Lord, in their Christian faith, in the truth according to God's word. So we don't, they shouldn't necessarily, we're not talking about they, they, they feel lifted up in strength and not because they all of a sudden have a stronger self-esteem. Paul is not advocating sweet-talking others so that they feel good about themselves. Listen, this is not, we're not it's, the self-esteem here is it's not about uh, because they've been affirmed in their delusion, in their dysphoria, or in their dysfunction in life. We're not building them up in that regard. The context here in Ephesians is very specific. We are building them up in the truth of God's word so that they might grow in the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the specific building up. So it's not building up in falsehoods. It's not building up in the philosophy of our culture. It's not building them up to make them feel good and reaffirm them in their sin in how they are living. That's not the idea here. In fact, in context of Ephesians chapter 4, just in the same chapter here, all you have to do is go back to what Paul says earlier in chapter 4. And the whole context is about maturing in Christ, maturity in Jesus Christ, growing in our relationship with the Lord. For example, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 14, that we should no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by trickery of doctrine. What's going, what our culture says and how it lives. And then he says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, speaking of Jesus Christ. And then later on in verse 17, which actually kicks off this whole section in which we are in, he says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, before you were a believer in Christ. Don't walk like the world does. Don't speak like the culture does. So we're not building people up and reaffirming them in falsehoods, in their delusional thinking, in their dysphoria, in their dysfunction. No, it is specifically we are speaking to build them up in the truth, in their faith in Jesus Christ, and in the Lord. In fact, a person may actually come away from a conversation upset 
by what is said. When you speak in this manner. But if it was truth spoken in love with the purpose of building up in the Lord, following Jesus Christ, then eventually building up will happen. So edifying talk that's good for building up people and following Jesus. It's the opposite of talk that tears down a husband or a wife. That tears down a child or a teenager, a dad or a mom, a co-worker or classmate. Listen, our talk is to be beneficial, so it builds people up in the truth of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, rather than harming them or destroying them. This means our speech will be radically different from the speech of the world, the speech of our culture. Think of it, so much of our culture speech is about just getting what we want. It's about getting our needs met. It's about affirming people in falsehoods. But for the Christian speech, is about building up others in the truth of God, in the Lord, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been said that there are three types of people There are those who think before they speak, those who think while they speak, and those who think after they speak. I'll let you decide which one you tend to be most. Do people say about you, you know what I like about her? She thinks before she speaks. She never runs off at the mouth. Or do do you think while you speak, evaluating and weighing your words as they're coming out of your mouth? Or, or do you think after you speak? Only then realizing later that what you said, it was probably hurtful, a little insensitive, and maybe even inappropriate. So here are our five questions to ask yourself to help you think before you speak. In your notes, come up on the screen. Are my words truthful? Are my words truthful? And again, in our day and age, in our culture, we need to clarify when we say are my words truthful it's not according to your truth it's according to God's truth as he's already revealed to us in his word so is what I'm going to say the truth if not then don't say it h are my words helpful is what I'm going to say helpful and beneficial for this person in their walk with the Lord is it going to build them up or tear them down I, are my words inspiring? In other words, is what I'm going to say encouraging to that person or discouraging? And then in, are my words necessary? Is what I'm going to say really need to be said or not? Remember, Jesus said we are going to be held accountable for every word we speak. We're going to be judged for every word we speak. We will give an account for that. And then K, are my words simply, are they kind? Are my words hateful or harmful? So when it comes to our talk, Paul tells us, first of all, a prohibition. He says, don't let any corrupting talk proceed out of your mouth. So in other words, he says, don't speak with this rotten talk. And then, second of all, he says, do speak, though. But when you do, make sure it's edifying talk. That is, it's building one another up in the Lord. And then he gives us the motivation for all of this. And notice the motivation, it's this, is to make my mouth a means of grace, not grief. 
This is a revolutionary way to think about your mouth. And I want to ask you to really seriously consider your mouth this morning as either a means of grace or is it a means of grief in your relationships. You see, the issue here is whether you are willing to make your mouth a means of grace with the people that you have relationships with and not grief in their life. Paul's shifting from what we say here to why we say it. That's the issue. So notice again what Paul writes in verse 29. He's talking about what we're speaking, what we're saying in verse 29 when he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. And then he shifts from the what to the why. In verse 29, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then he adds, even in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So Paul here gives us this twofold purpose of edifying talk, for talk that builds up one another. And the first purpose, he tells us, is to give grace to the hearer who is around me. And obviously, who are those who are going to hear you the most? It's the people closest to you. So you might think and start in your relationships at home, obviously. Those are the people who hear you talk the most. So it's your husband, it's your wife, it's your children or your teenagers. It might be your parents, it might be your siblings. Those are the people who hear you speak the most in this world today. And then you go outside of that concentric circle. It gets a little bigger. Most of you go to school, so now you have classmates. Most of you go to work, so now you have coworkers. And then you're all here. You're all part of a local church. So now you have one another here at church. There's people you recreate with. And you can see how there's all these different levels of people in your life who hear you speak. And the purpose, Paul says, first of all, is to give grace to those people with how we speak. Every time we open our mouth, think of it, it is an opportunity to give grace to the person who hears what we say. So just think of it. We have this awesome privilege of being co-workers with God in how we talk. So what is the grace that we are giving in our talk. Well, it, grace is that which we do not deserve. That's by definition what grace is. Such as the grace of God in our salvation. We didn't deserve salvation. We don't deserve it. It's grace given. And so in many conversations, our words should be filled with echoes of God's grace pointing people to Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. But this isn't all that Paul has in mind here when it comes to giving grace to the people who hear you talk. Just consider the times you've been on the receiving end of a derogatory remark or a condescending 
remark by a spouse or a family member, a friend or even a coworker, a classmate. And at that moment, when you're on the receiving end of a derogatory or condescending remark, our reflex, our natural human reflex is to spring back at them with our own cutting remark. Hey, I just got word punched. And now I want to come back swinging at them, not with a physical fist, even though sometimes we might want to do that, but with word punches. After all, that's what they deserve, isn't it? And before we can even think about the the rotten words we are using that are tearing down instead of building up, we let fly some of well-deserved, graceless words. And oh, we're good at it. We hit the target right on. The bullseye. And when we do, we inflict our grief on the hearer. Pain. Hurt. And we wonder why our relationships are ruined. But Paul tells us we are to make our mouth a means of grace, not grief. That means we're not to speak in ways that the other person deserves. Rather, we are to give that person what they don't deserve. We are to give them grace. And we have an example of that, do we not? The one that we follow. The one who has provided our salvation by grace is our example, Jesus Christ, who cried out as he was dying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they ridiculed him. Christ didn't respond with insults at the people who were mocking him and ridiculing him. Instead, he responded with grace. And this is what Paul says we are now to do. Don't speak to others the way that you think they might deserve or how our world says they deserve, but rather speak to them with something they don't deserve. Grace. And when it comes to our talk, the deeper question that I I hope you are thinking about and considering is, is my mouth a means of grace or grief? Am I giving grace to the hearer around me, or am I giving them grief with my words? These are amazing verses when you really think about it. Amazing verses about the work of God's grace in our own lives. It makes me think that if my mother had only washed my mouth out with soap, and she never prayed to wash out my heart with the grace of God in the gospel, I might have a clean mouth, but I'd still have a very dirty heart, wouldn't I? You see, a Christian, Christ follower, is one who, whose, whose rotten root within, down deep in the heart, has been made new by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the grace of God now has taken our anger. He's taken our hate and resentment that often spill over into harmful and hateful talk. And he's now covered them with the blood of Christ. And he's given us a new heart in Jesus Christ. And so now 
We have the power to actually give grace to people when we talk. This is why Paul also tells us that the second purpose of edifying talk is, notice this in your notes, is to not grieve the Holy Spirit who is within me. Did you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit that dwells within you as a believer in Jesus Christ? You say, well, what does that mean? It means that a Christian, first of all, is a person in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells at the moment, and that takes place at the moment of your salvation, and that this Spirit of God, Paul tells us, actually seals the believer for the day of redemption. The day of when Christ returns and redeems us once and for all. We read about that in in the first chapter of Ephesians chapter 1. This means the Spirit's seal is our assurance of a very secured hope in Jesus Christ. The hope of all believers that is guaranteed by the Spirit that dwells in us is at the end of history will come to the day of redemption instead of a day of damnation. That's us as believers in Jesus Christ. We are guaranteed by the Spirit. We have a day of redemption. Thank you, Lord, right? And not a day of damnation and judgment. The point of this all is, Paul says, the Spirit has been given to seal us and secure us for this day of redemption that is coming. In other words, the Spirit's sealing work aims to give you hope until that day comes. So all of us here as Christ followers, we should have hope. We should be renewed in this hope. We should leave here with hope. We should live out this hope, not perfectly. Because we live in a broken, rotten, sinful world where we get discouraged and depressed. But nonetheless, we renew our minds with the truth of God's word to remind ourselves of this hope. And hopefully we are around other Christ followers who are giving us grace and building us open, building us up in this hope. So here's the question. How do you grieve the spirit? Well, it's, I, I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit is grieved by sin. And in context here, specifically, or especially, the sins of the tongue. That's how we grieve the Spirit. The sins of the mouth. And yet, there's also another way, even within this verse that Paul writes here in verse 30. And that is by not hoping in the day of redemption. By not fixing our hearts on that day. By not hoping in the power of the Spirit to secure you and keep you. Think of it this way and follow the logic of Paul here. If the Holy Spirit has been sent to give you hope in God, and instead of hoping in God, you now fret over your problems in this world, sin-filled, broken world, and you become angry over it, you become bitter about it, you become resentful towards that person, then you also grieve the Spirit of God. And you're going to strive against the very purpose for which the Spirit dwells within you. And the talk now that comes out of your heart, what do you think it's going to be about? It's not going to hope in God. And it will not give grace to those who hear you. After all, how can you make your mouth a means of grace for others 
when you do not hope in the very grace of God yourself that you have been sealed with for the day of redemption that is coming. So it's out of hopeless hearts because we've lost sight of a day of redemption that's coming. We have forgot that we are that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and it's out of these hopeless hearts of bitterness and anger and resentment that rotten talk now spews out of our mouth. But if you stop and think, Christ has died for my sin, and God has promised to work all things together for my good, even though I don't completely understand how all that plays out. And he has given you his own spirit for the purpose of sealing you for that day of redemption that's coming, then surely this confident hope will now dwell in your heart and up from your heart is going to flow what? It's going to flow the grace of God and out of your mouth will come words of grace. All of this makes the question for our mouth pretty important. Look at the question. It's in your notes, coming up on the screen. Is my mouth a means of grace or a means of grief in my relationships? And might I just remind you the power of your words. Remember what we heard in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21? It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. So the reality is, your talk, it really does have the power to kill relationships. But Paul here is calling us to make our mouths a means of grace that gives life and strengthens us in our walk with the Lord and actually has the power to restore relationships. So let me ask you, does your talk do that? Are your words redemptive in nature? Is your mouth a means of grace that builds people up? Listen, don't underestimate the power of your words. The tongue may be a very small part of your body, but it has the power to ruin your relationships, when you speak with rot in your talk. But it also has the power to restore relationships when you make your mouth a means of grace. With your heads bowed, before I pray, I, I, I want to ask you to just sit and reflect for a moment. And specifically, I want to ask you to think of just one person in your life One person, and perhaps there are more, probably there are, but just consider one. Put that person, their name, what they look like in your mind. Think of one person who you have caused grief to with your mouth. In other words, your mouth and how you have spoken to them has caused them hurt, pain, and grief. And I would, as you think of that one person, then next, here's the next thing I would ask you to consider to do. Is first of all, go to the Lord here while you're sitting and confess to him your sin. 
and ask him to forgive you, receive his forgiveness, and then take the next step and go to that person and confess your sin to them. Admit, hey, what I said probably hurt you, caused you grief. I was wrong for what I said. Will, and then you say this, will you forgive me? Ask them for your, their, your forgiveness. And then you just wait. It's on them to respond. So let me encourage you to evaluate your talk. Do you have rot in your talk that you need to get rid of? Go to the Lord in this moment of silence. Heavenly Father, oh, forgive us. Forgive us for wounding people with our talk. And help us to get rid of the rot in our talk that ruins so many relationships. Father, help us to speak with edifying talk. Talk that that builds up the people around us. Builds them up in the Lord. Builds them up with grace. And so we ask that you, by your power of the spirit that dwells within us, you would make our mouths a means of grace and not grief. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.